our family's vacations growing up always involved going to uh, Virginia Beach. Uh, that's where my grandparents and aunt and uncle live on my mom's side. And so we'd spend a couple months, or not months, weeks, uh, during the summer months uh, going out there and spending time with them. Um, both my parents worked at Aurora Christian. Um, my dad was an administrator. My mom worked in the library. So they had a, at least the majority of their summers off. So it worked for us to, to take time and, and go out there. And as a kid, I always looked forward to it. I loved it. Loved going to grandma's house. And uh, I remember as we'd be driving out there, we'd be in like West Virginia or just getting to Virginia. And I'd, I'd always say, I can almost smell grandma's house. And that was just weird. I couldn't. I don't know why I'd say that, but <laughs> it just is something that I did. And one year when I was in around third grade, um, all the ladies in the house uh, decided they wanted to go out shopping and they'd go out and get dinner with each other uh, for the evening. It left all of us guys uh, back at home. And so that evening, uh, after we had eaten dinner, uh, we thought it would be fun to all play a game together, just us guys. So there were my three brothers, or my two brothers, myself, the three of us, uh, my dad and my grandpa, and I think my uncle was around as well that evening. And uh, we were trying to decide what game to play, and well, my grandparents live in a, a rather large house, and so we thought, you know what, might be fun, play a good old game of hide-and-seek. So we thought this would be a great idea, and so, you know, the three of us boys, we take off and, and we go hide, and in typical fashion, you know, as younger kids, we got found pretty quick. I don't know, maybe we had a leg sticking out of our hiding spot, or, you know, you could just plain out see us. We thought we were being clever, but they found us real fast. And so after playing a couple times, uh, my grandpa had this great idea. He's like, what if we switched and your dad and I will go hide and you guys have to find us? And as a little kid, I remember thinking, all right, these guys, they're adults. They're grown men. They can't fit into all the little places that my brothers and I can. And if they found us as fast as they did, we'll find them right away. Yeah, Grandpa, this is a great idea. How about you guys go hide? Well, as it uh, turns out, it took a lot longer to find them than I would have liked. And so as about third grade me, I remember uh, beginning, beginning to get so afraid because I couldn't find them anywhere. We, my brothers and I, we felt like we had looked over the entire house and there was no sign of grandpa, no sign of dad. And we started to get fearful that they had left, that they thought, oh, we'll, we'll really win this game and we're just going to leave. And so here I am, this little kid, and I'm like, oh my goodness, he's gone. You know, we're left home alone in this large house at night in an area that we really don't know all too well. And I was terrified. So my brothers and I, we started looking frantically for uh, my dad and my grandpa. We're looking just all over the place. And I came to a point of the, the, the joy and the excitement of playing a game with them had just, that was gone now. And what had come was near horror. And I was like, what is going to happen? Because as a kid, I was just fearful. You know, this big house had lots of ways to get in it. And I thought that there was going to be some evil person that was going to come in that house and kidnap us or try to kill us or something of the sort. And I was terrified. And so to the point of tears, we were crying out, the game's over. We don't want to play anymore. You guys can come out now. And it's just, let's be done, let's play something else. And we were just horrified. And I will say myself probably even more than my younger brothers. And to this day, to be honest, I don't really know where they hid uh, that night. And probably is for the best. I might be embarrassed to find out uh, where they did. But all I wanted as a kid was to know that I was safe, was to know that I was not going to have to worry about someone coming in and taking me away, that as my dad and my grandpa were watching over me, that all I wanted to do was find what I thought was completely lost, just completely gone. And um, this morning we embark on a new series. We just finished up our series of the Conversations with Jesus, and this morning we start a new series entitled Lost. Now we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at some parables uh, from, the, from our Lord of a God who pursues the parables are found in Luke chapter 15, so if you want to turn there with me this morning, I'd invite you to do so. We'll be looking over the next few weeks at the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost brothers. Luke 15 is known as perhaps one of the most cherished New Testament chapters. It's been regarded as the gospel within the gospel, a clear picture 
of Jesus' message that he came and was preaching amongst all the people. I can tell you now, I'm, I'm pretty excited to dive into these passages. And, and at the outset of studying, I thought, oh man, you know, we're going to do preach on all these parables, and they all do and say the same exact thing. This is going to be a very repetitive series. And I've learned, uh, thankfully, as, as it always happens, when you dive into God's Word, there's so much more uh, to unpack. And so I look forward to uh, looking this morning at verses 1 through 7 uh, as we just take a look at the parable of the lost sheep. And as you're turning there, uh, Jesus has just finished up uh, teaching to a mass of people. Great crowds that accompanied him were we see back in Luke chapter 14. And uh, these people were probably drawn to Jesus by his miraculous works, healing people. Um, and so all these people have flocked, and Jesus gives his like classic crowd reduction speech. And he says, hey, listen, it, following me, being my disciple, isn't so much just about coming and watching me perform miracles. It's not just about the, the highs and this experience. It's not just about sitting and listening, but really he's, in, he's challenging them and saying, it's a complete different way of life, right? To follow me, you have to like hate your old self, forsake everything that you had to follow me, that I would be your greatest love. And he challenges the people to, to count the cost of following him, just as a builder would count the cost of a project and so you don't get halfway into it, run out of funds, and look like a fool that can't finish what he started. Jesus says, count the cost. And then he says, listen, salt that has become unsalty, that's lost its saltiness, is worthless and thrown away. So he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And it's on the heels of this teaching that Luke records our passage this morning. So let's look at it together, starting in uh, verse 1 of chapter 15. Luke writes, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country, and go after the one that's lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we set out on this, uh, this series, the series Lost, and we, we are going to see that you are a God who pursues, and I pray that now this morning as we just begin to enter into these parables and, and the great messages that you have to share, that you were teaching to your audience, I pray that we would begin to grasp them today, that we would hear the point in the first one, the parable of the lost sheep. I pray that you would open our hearts to hear these truths. I pray you would examine our hearts, reveal to us our own sinfulness, and, and help us to respond accordingly. And I pray that now you'd lead and guide my words, that they'd be honoring to you, that your spirit would go before us in this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the scene's been set. There's two groups of people. You've got the sinners and the tax collectors on one side, and you've got the Pharisees and the scribes on the other. And in many ways... In the eyes of the day, what you have is the worthy in the Pharisees, in, in the, the scribes. You have the unworthy. You have the holy and the wicked, the good and the evil. You have nearly the complete opposites uh, pitted against each other. You have, as with the tax collectors and the scribes, you have perhaps the, the most honorable occupation in, in a scribe and one of the most hated occupations in the tax collector. With the Pharisees and the sinners, you've got the most holy of the people, the most righteous, the most devoted to following the Old Testament law, to, to walking with God, as they would say. And you have the, the people who've forsaken that and given to sin, the most tainted by their, their wickedness, the most people that have wandered the farthest from our Lord. And here they are, these two groups of people, united together in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Yet, 
for very different reasons. you got on the one side, the sinners and the tax collectors are drawn to Jesus' message, wanting to learn more. They're seeing this compassionate teaching. On the other side, you got the, the Pharisees and the scribes. They've all come to the scene, but the, they've come because, well, they're, they're interested to investigate, to find the problems with what Jesus is teaching. Because the, the sinners have heard Jesus' message of this new kingdom, his kingdom, in which membership and honor are offered and extended to the, to the least of these. They're, they're intrigued by it. Jesus teaches with an authority that they're not used to hearing taught with by the scribes and the Pharisees. He, he shows them compassion, and so these people who, who are cast out and judged in their society are, are drawn to listen and learn more about Jesus and his message. While the Pharisees see this happening are like, hold the show. Hold the show. This Something's not right here, right? The kingdom of God isn't for the sinners and the wicked. It's for the, the righteous, those who uphold the law, who are devoted to it, who keep up with the Old Testament traditions. They follow the Mosaic law to a T. And man, when we mess up, we got to be upset about it. We've got to have a lot of remorse because we have failed. These people aren't like that. What, what is Jesus doing eating with them? And so is the accusation. This man receives sinners and eats with them. See, to sit and eat with somebody in that day was really it was to affirm them, right? If you shared a meal with a person, you, you were in a sense accepting and affirming their lifestyle, their, their actions, who they were. So what the Pharisees and the scribes are seeing is, as Jesus shares meals with the sinners is that Jesus is welcoming these sinners, accepting them for who they are, their sin, affirming their sin, affirming their ways, and, and they've got some real issues with that. And it introduces the problem before us today, the grumbling, the, the judging of the righteous, the, the two people, the two very different people, but yet one huge problem. Who is welcome in the kingdom of God? Who's welcome in the kingdom of God? And so Jesus goes into the parable of the lost sheep. The sheep that's wandered from the flock alone. And the shepherd goes and seeks it out and brings it back. And no doubt for the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes who are sitting over here, as Jesus is sharing this parable with them, knowing the Old Testament, they would have probably thought to Ezekiel chapter 34. In verses 1 through 12 in Ezekiel 34, God is giving a judgment to the shepherds in Israel because what they have failed to do is to shepherd the flock. They've become more concerned about themselves. They feed themselves. They use the wool for themselves. They don't feed the flock. They don't care for the flock. They don't direct the flock. And what God says has happened as a consequence is the, the sheep have been without shepherd and they're scattered all over the place. They've been scattered throughout the world, and now they've become food for all the wild beasts because there's nobody to protect them. And so in verse 11, Jesus or God is going to say, listen, it's not, you guys have failed. I'm going to take the responsibility of being the shepherd away from you. And in verse 11 it says, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. A shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Jesus is saying, listen, God has told us he is going to seek out his lost sheep. He's going to bring to light the answer to the question, who belongs in the kingdom of God? The Pharisees believed that you belonged in the kingdom of God, when you had obeyed the law, when you were righteous and pure, you had followed the Old Testament sacrifices, you've been a part of the, the priestly uh, mediation, then you could be brought into the fold of God. And Jesus is saying and bringing to light the mindset that God is seeking out his lost sheep. There are, there are sheep who are lost. And to us, we maybe read this parable and we think uh, in our own context, our own world today, but at this time, 
it was likely that we had Jews on both sides, both sides of the equation. You had the devout Pharisees and scribes following the law, Jewish people to the T. And then you have those Jews on the other side who have left it, wandered away. And so what would be communicated is that on this side, you have the lost sheep, the lost flock of Israel. And Jesus is bringing to, to surface that Ezekiel 34, that he's, he's coming to seek out the lost sheep, to bring, to bring them back to the fold. That's about the restoration, the seeking. And this is why the, the Pharisees would be so conflicted and offended at the concept or idea that Jesus would associate with the lost because they have failed and become unfit to be included in the people of God. They've not kept up with the law. They've perhaps forsaken it. They've not been part of the sacrifices. But we have. So why would, why would Jesus say and teach these people about the kingdom of God when we're the ones for the kingdom of God? And so, Jesus has associated now and bring these things to light. And so we're going to learn that as Jesus dives into this parable of the lost sheep, that it's meant to do a couple of things. Jesus is really going to masterfully work over them. And we're going to see this over the next few weeks through these parables. But this parable is shared not for the sinner, but it's shared in response to the self-righteous. It's shared in response to the Pharisees and to the scribes. So this is who Jesus is first speaking to here. But he shares this parable in the hearing of all. So it's directed to the Pharisees in the hearing of the sinners. And so even though it's directed to the Pharisees, the first thing that we're going to see starting out in the parable of the lost sheep, before we get to some of these other parables, is that Jesus is extending mercy to the sinner. I want you to imagine for yourself to, that here you are sitting in the room and you're one of the, the sinners or tax collectors. And you've come because you're interested in the teaching of this Jesus. You've heard him teach different things than you've heard taught before. He shows you the compassion and you want to learn more. And so you show up and, and these religious snobs are sitting over on the other side or walk by and, and you, you just you know, man, they can't stand your guts. You, you catch the sneering look because they're like, sinners. They're glaring at this Jesus. Who, who does this guy think he is to, to spend time with them? Really? He's missing the whole point. And you see them whispering to each other, and you're like, man, I know it. They scoff at us. They, they think we're just trash. They think themselves so much better. And, and so you're sitting there on the one hand so hopeful and excited to hear more about this, this from this teacher, this rabbi, Jesus, who, who you're following. And on the other hand, you're conflicted because the Jews, your fellow Jews who are righteous are, are shunning you, casting you out, looking down on you, rejecting you, deeming you of no value. And so Jesus starts to share this parable. And you start to see where he's going with it. And maybe you're, you're sitting there in your seat and you sit up a little straighter. Because what you perceive to be happening is that Jesus, this compassionate teacher, is, he's, he's going to stick up for you. He's going to get after these Pharisees. He's going to stick up on your behalf. And so you, you might sit up like, hey, I've got... I've got an advocate. I've got a voice. Somebody to speak on my behalf. And then as you start to pay attention to what Jesus is saying, you start to pick up on some of the details of the story. And, and now you're stuck in a little bit of this awkward situation where you realize that Jesus is talking about this lost sheep. And he's likening this lost sheep to the sinner. It's, it's an obvious comparison. And, and now you're sitting there like, oh, <laughs> okay, so... Yeah, he, he's sticking up, but he's calling us lost sheep. 
And that's not quite the compliment that you might think that it is. Sheep aren't the smartest of animals. Granted, they're not the dumbest of animals either. But sheep are herd animals, as many of you guys know, which means that they find comfort and security in the multiplicity of others. Power in numbers, right? And this sheep has wandered off by himself. And you recognize that Jesus, as you're sitting over here, is, he's talking about you. He's talking about those around you. Man, we're, the, we're that sheep that wandered off. And so while on the one hand you're thrilled because somebody's sticking up for you, on the other hand you're, you're anxious to, to see, okay, wait a minute, where is Jesus really going with this? Where is he going with it? This lost sheep had become completely and utterly lost. As one pastor noted, lost dogs can possibly find their way home, but a lost sheep is unable to do so. They wander aimlessly, stupidly, on and on, farther from home. And so it's likely that this sheep became aware of the fact that it had been separated. Sheep are very easily scared, and so maybe became aware of the fact, as a sheep could, I've not been in the mind of a sheep to know exactly how they think, but to say, I've been separated from the flock, and I need to find security again. But this sheep has no idea how to find its way back to the flock, no idea how to find its way back to the shepherd, so perhaps it wanders, looking, but it just wanders more and more lost. No idea what to do. And so Jesus is saying, listen, these lost sinners are like this sheep who found them separated from the flock, and here they are. They have no clue how to restore themselves to security, to restore themselves to salvation. They wander, they may try and to do, and yet they come up short because, well, they don't know where to go. And so this sheep on its own is doomed if the shepherd doesn't take action himself. And this is where Jesus speaks of that shepherd leaving the 99 to go out and seek after the one lost. And you, you think that one of the first things I notice reading through all these parables is we start out with one out of a hundred sheep, and then next week we'll move to one out of ten coins, and then we'll move to one out of two brothers. He's like narrowing this gap just a little bit. And so you might look originally at, well, it's just one out of a hundred. Uh, what significance could it really have? But the shepherd leaves that 99 and the security of them all together in the open field to go and to seek after this one who's in danger, vulnerable to the attacks in, in the wild around him. And Jesus, likening himself in the point here to the good shepherd, is fulfilling that ultimate search and rescue mission that's ever to take place. It's in Jesus' mission that he seeks to fulfill that prophetic word in Ezekiel that God would seek the sheep. And so Jesus is justifying himself to say, yeah, listen, I'm in the right spot. You think I'm in the wrong to sit and eat with sinners, to spend time with them. He's going to say, I'm right where I need to be. But the beautiful thing in Jesus, later in Luke 19, he would say his mission, what he has come to do. He says, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. What a beautiful picture of the mission of Jesus Christ. And this is, according to a great Jewish scholar, this is perhaps one of the only absolutely new things that Jesus taught men about God. That God searched for men. Because up until this point, the conception has been that we pursue after God. We come to God through the obedience of the law. We come to God by the, through the sacrifices. That man would come to God. But Jesus comes and is giving this teaching that God comes to man and seeks out man. In John 6.44, Jesus would say that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That God is in the work of seeking out the lost. And this is really the beauty that mercy has been extended to the sinner. 
It's been extended to them, that the shepherd would go to them and extend mercy. We know that it's not in our own merit, in our own works, that we've deserved God's mercy. Because then it wouldn't be mercy. It wouldn't be grace if we had gone and earned it. And so the shepherd comes and seeks us out and gives us mercy. Romans 5.8 says that God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, we hadn't become righteous. We hadn't put our lives back together. We hadn't uh, dusted off. We were still in a world of hurt, covered in the muck of sin. Jesus did the unthinkable, and he went to the cross to pave a way for us to be restored in relationship to God. It's important for us to recognize that we were that lost sheep wandering astray, that God did a great work to seek us out and to save us. If you're a believer this morning as you're sitting and maybe thinking about how, how that transpired in your life, you're, you're not sitting there thinking, oh yeah, all the ways that I, I pursued after God and I, I ran after God and, and I found him. And I... But as you, as you look back, you start to see the ways that, that God was seeking you out that God was working in your life in, in ways that maybe at the time you were completely unaware of it, and he kept drawing you to himself until you were saved. The uh, late Bible teacher Harry Ironside tells of a story of a, a recent convert who shared his testimony during a church service. And this, uh, this man stood up with uh, just a huge smile on his face, joy in his heart, and he went on talking about how God had just saved him from a life of sin. And he gave the Lord all the glory and, and said that he had nothing, that he talked nothing about what he had done. And so the person leading this, uh, this service you know, was conflicted with this. Uh, maybe a little bit more legalistic and went up to him afterwards and, and said, uh, listen, you seem to indicate that God did everything when he saved you, but didn't you do your part before God did his? And this is awesome. The, the new Christian stood up and he said, oh yeah, I did. For more than 30 years, I ran away from God as fast as my sins could carry me. That was my part. But God did, uh, God did his, and he took out after me and ran me down. That was his part. What a great perspective. Right? And that's, what, that's the perspective that we have as reconciled sinners that, man, we were running from God as fast as we could. Recognize it or not at the time, we, we were in a dead sprint away from God wandering, completely lost. And God ran us down. He sought us out. And he saved us. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful truth. And praise be to God for it. But the parable continues. So we, we get hung up sometimes on this part, right? And, and we look at the, the lost sheep, and, and we only talk about this lost sheep. And I think a beautiful thing that's slipped in here that sometimes we glance over is that the shepherd didn't just go and find the lost sheep and leave it at that. Oh, I found you. But he throws them over his shoulder and he carries them back home. And what a, what a great truth of what the good shepherd Jesus has done and what he seeks to do. He doesn't go and seek out the lost and leave the lost in their lost state. Oh, I found you. At least I know where you're at. But he picks them up and he carries them back. He changes their whole state of living. And this is where, as one of the sinners, you're, you might be sitting there and the righteous might even be thinking about it, but, but is Jesus just affirming the sinner? Is he just on the side of the sinner to say, oh, I, I, I find the sinner. But Jesus finds them and changes their life. And so Jesus is addressing the sin in these people's lives as well, the sinner's lives. Listen, being lost isn't the state to stay in, but to bring you back to the fold, to save you, to give you the security. You wouldn't live in fear. You'd live differently. And that's the, the great beauty of what's going on here. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I, I know sometimes I get frustrated very easily. And, you know, Ollie... Our, our golden retriever, especially right when we first moved out here, man, if that door opened, he was ready to go explore, right? New smells, new places to look, and so that he'd get out and he'd go run, and I, I would get so irritated with him, and sometimes I, I'd go and 
I'd get him, and man, I'd get the dog, I'd grab him by his collar, be like, come on, let's go. And we start going back to the house. I'm like, what are you doing running away like that? But you know, Jesus isn't like that. The shepherd isn't like that. You don't see in this story that the shepherd goes and finds the sheep that's wandered all the way. No idea where he's at. And he comes and he's like, oh, what's wrong with you, sheep? What are you doing? But he comes and he picks it up and throws it over his shoulder. Gracious and tenderly caring for it. Jeremiah 3.12 demonstrates the, the loving kindness of the Lord. and says, return, faithless Israel declares the Lord. I, I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. See, the God that we serve isn't this harsh and mean God that just hates us when we do evil. He doesn't desire for us to be there. He comes and He says, listen, come home. And He's gracious and kind. He's a merciful God that welcomes the sinner to come. And sometimes people get this mindset of, man, I can't go to God because of all the junk that I've done in my life. And what a time to be reminded that we can remind them or teach them that's not the God of the Bible. The good shepherd is, is gracious. Come to him. Come to him and He's faithful to forgive your sins. He, see, He sent His Son to die on the cross on your behalf. The wrath's been poured out on His Son that if you believe in Him, that man, His, his suffering took your place. What a, what a great truth for the sinner. So the Pharisees and the scribes are recognizing here as Jesus is diving into this, that even the most obviously lost person, everybody could agree that that sheep was lost. On its own, wandering, yeah, clearly an issue. But the Pharisees and the scribes are going to see that even the most obviously lost sinner is sought by God. That God can go and redeem and bring back the worst of the worst. And Jesus is, just as we talked about last week in that parable, kind of setting that trap today. He's going to build on these parables through the next few weeks. Because not only is he going to extend mercy to the sinner now, but he's going to be working to expose sin in the self-righteous. He's going to expose sin in the self-righteous. And, and this is the nail that Jesus seeks to drive home through the course of these three parables. Because remember, Jesus doesn't share these parables just talking to the lost sheep. He's talking to these people, to the righteous, to the self-righteous, the Pharisees, the scribes. So Jesus has an issue to address here. And first, he needs to start to set that footing with the lost sheep. The, yeah, the obviously lost God pursues God goes after that sinner, the one who's clearly lost, recognizes perhaps they're lost, but has no idea how to get home. But if we only focused on that part, we would really be missing a great and powerful, deep truth in the purpose of these. Because Jesus' goal is to unveil the sinful mindsets that are taking place with the Pharisees, with the scribes. Because they're in their external, in their deeds, their external righteousness, they've become blinded to their internal sinfulness. And in the course of studying, if you've ever read the book Prodigal God uh, by Tim Keller, works through these parables, and, and he talks in that book about the fact that at times it's so easy for us to maybe slip back to this mindset, or to slip into it that, yeah, you know, as, as we get established in the church, as we maybe grow in our maturity in Christ, that as our lives start to look different, it, man, we can easily and subtly shift into this mindset of looking down on the sinners. Instead of remembering that, man, we were there. 
and we need to have mercy on them as well. And so Jesus is going to peel back the layers of an onion, per se, with these Pharisees and scribes over the next few weeks. And, and in a few weeks, when we talk about the, the lost brother, man, he is going to drive this thing home in a, in a great plot twist, per se, as we get there. And I, I'm so looking forward to it. But today, he's just beginning to expose some of this sinful thinking in these people. That the whole idea of who salvation belongs to, being just for the righteous, for those who follow the law, would be upended. That it's easy to see the, the sinfulness, the obvious sinfulness externally of others. But to deal with and address, or even to recognize the internal sinfulness of the righteous, when, when everything you do is good, how do you still see your sin? That's where Jesus so masterfully brings it out. In this particular parable, Jesus presents that there's essentially 99 righteous, one lost. Which to the Pharisees and the scribes would have been a tough pill to swallow because they would probably say that, well, there's one righteous and 99 lost people. And you can get the idea that Jesus is preparing to flip the coin on the Pharisees and the scribes. You're missing it, you're off. He just wants to, to bring to surface this opportunity and address and weed out the narrow-mindedness of the self-righteous. And when I talk about narrow-mindedness, I, I don't mean about like what our culture says today, you know, being narrow-minded that Christianity is the only way. Well, there could be many. I'm not talking about that. But what I'm talking about is that, that idea of salvation being offered only to those who would obey the law only to those who would follow it to a T. But Jesus is saying, listen, you guys are missing the whole thing. Salvation is offered to the sinner because it's not by obeying the law that you're justified. The law is meant to show you your sin, to reveal it to you. So it's offered to the sinner. So, the door of salvation has been opened up especially to the sinner and even to the righteous if we would recognize it. So Jesus is building that foundation in, these in this parable today, showing the self-righteous that the wicked are the ones who are in need of being saved. They're the ones in need of salvation. And he's preparing to show the Pharisees that though they believe they're so righteous, they need it to help them recognize that they're sinners, that they're the wicked as well. And so you start to think, all right, well, if, if Jesus is calling out, in a sense, the sin of the sinner, and he's working to expose the sin and the self-righteous, whose side is Jesus really on here? Because it really seems like Jesus is on the side of sinners, and yet he's, he's not for the sin. And it reminded me, just in, in a funny way of way about of the scene in The Lord of the Rings. If you've not seen Lord of the Rings, this is not much of a spoiler alert. But in Lord of the Rings, there's a scene where the little, short little hobbit finds himself in the woods and picked up by Treebeard, who's a big talking tree, in case you've not seen it, to give you context. And there's been all this brewing and building conflict between good and evil and Treebeard's this new character to the scene, and the little hobbit's worried about whose side he's on. So he asks old Treebeard, well, whose side are you on? And Treebeard responds in his deep, old, foresty voice, that side, I'm on nobody's side, because nobody is on my side. And so in a sense, that's kind of where Jesus is. Jesus isn't really on the side of the sinners to say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with them, I am one of them. And he's not to stand on the side and say, yeah, you guys, you self-righteous, you're totally right, but Jesus has come not to do the will of the sinner, to do the will of the righteous, but he's come to do the will of his Father. John 6, 38, Jesus says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so, beautifully, as in the context of what's going on, Jesus is reaching out 
to save the sinners. And in these parables, his goal is to reach out and to save the self-righteous. Here Jesus is in the middle, not on one side or the other, but wanting to, to bring both into salvation. And so, while Jesus addresses the particular issues going on in the, in the self-righteous, addressing these things with the, the Pharisees and the scribes, he's going to give us this glimpse into heaven. He's going to exhibit this heavenly scene, and it's a beautiful thing, as Jesus does this so many times in his parables, using common events, common things to, in a worldly sense, to communicate and demonstrate the unseen, the heavenly, the spiritual. And what a beautiful scene that Jesus gives us a glimpse of, the scene of a celebration, right? You see in our passage today in in verse 7, and just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And, you know, in in this life, we have a lot of things to celebrate. We celebrate weddings and we celebrate the birth of children and think of the Nielsens and the Aggies who've recently had babies. And, you know, we celebrate those things. We celebrate graduations. We celebrate achievements and milestones in life. And we celebrate birthdays. And there's so much to celebrate. And yet one thing that the church doesn't do super well is, I think, celebrate salvation and have a party when somebody is saved. I think, you know, when we think we throw good parties... When the Bible says that God's throwing a party, I can't imagine how great that that is. How wonderful of a party that that is. And this, Jesus is saying here that even there is joy in heaven when one sinner is saved. When one sinner is saved. And, you know, it's been a few years, and this, this is a story that will, I don't think I'll ever forget it. It was just, it was super cool. And, um, a number of years ago, I was a, a counselor at Family News Bible Camp, which is one of the, the camps the village is a part of uh, during the summers now. And I had been a counselor for a couple of years, and I always happened to have this boy, Matthew, in my cabin. And uh, Matthew and I had, had spent the last couple of years getting to know each other, and, and he was just very honest about some difficulties in life. And, you know, we'd each year spend some time talking through them. We'd keep in touch throughout the year talking through these issues. And you know, Matthew could never seem to find peace and comfort in the Lord. He couldn't find joy in the midst of trial. And as often as we'd seek the Lord out, as often as we'd talk through these things, it, it just every single year, they kept coming back. Was, we'd have the same exact conversation year to year to year. And so finally this year, I had a, I asked Matthew, I sat down and said, hey, Matthew, hey, let, me, let me just, let's level for a second. Have you placed your trust in Jesus as your Savior? And it came out through the course of our conversation that he hadn't really done that. Like, he, he believed in God, and he believed God was there, but he hadn't really, he didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. And, and it was the coolest thing. God, God gave me this opportunity that night to lead Matthew to the Lord. And that was a ton of fun, you know, to, to see him. We, we talked through, you know, what it meant to really be a follower of Jesus, to, to really trust in him. And then we, we had finished, uh, we were getting ready to go back to the cabin. I was like, hey, you know, you know, Matthew, did you know that there's like a party going on in heaven right now because of your salvation? You know, he looks at me like, no, really? And I was like, oh, yeah. So we opened up this passage. I was like, look, see, Jesus says, he says, there is so much joy in heaven when one sinner is saved. And he's like, oh, that's cool. I was like, so Matthew, you know, it, if this is something worth celebrating in heaven, that God finds it worth a celebration, that the angels are celebrating, I think it's, I think it's only fair that we would celebrate here too, right? And he was like, oh, I mean, what are we going to do? And I was like, what if we went back to the cabin and we told all the guys, I mean, if you're okay with this, and told all the guys about what happened, he was like, Okay, so we go back to the cabin. There's like 10 other uh, high school kids in there, all right? And I say, hey, guys, uh, we looked at the passage, and I said, Matthew's got something he wants to share with you guys. And Matthew just uh, took a moment and kind of shared what God's been doing in his life. And he had just uh, placed his trust in Christ and been saved. And, you know, it was one of the most heartwarming, special moments of my life. All those high school boys just started hooping and hollering clapping, 
they got down off all their bunks, and they were, they were just excited about this for Matthew. They'd come around, they're high-fiving him, they're patting him on the back, and like, this is, this is just an exciting moment. I'm sitting there like, wow. If this is just a taste of heaven, what a blessing. What a blessing. And we gathered around Matthew, and we prayed for him, and it was, encouraged him, and what a cool thing. I saw Matthew a couple years later. He's still walking with the Lord, and what a, what a great blessing to be part of that, to celebrate in such a way. But we don't often celebrate salvation. And I think that's a, a great missed opportunity of the church. You know, to, I'm excited. There's a lot of empty seats here. And I don't foresee this church just becoming some massive church, but what I do see are new faces sitting in these seats. Faces of people that are around us right now, or maybe neighbors or friends that are just in our community. People we know and rub shoulders with that right now are lost. They're the lost sheep wandering and astray. And I believe that God's, God's seeking people out. And I look forward to the day that we see new faces sitting here of new disciples, new followers of Jesus Christ. And I look forward to the day where we celebrate in, in baptism, new birth into God's kingdom. As people would share their story about how did God run after them? How did God seek after them, a lost sinner, to save him? And, and just rejoicing together as a family, as, as God's people. See, at Village, if we talk about the, the three D's of Village, and the first is to discover disciples. And that's what we're talking about here, discovering new disciples, new followers of Jesus Christ. As, as he's working in people's hearts, drawing them to himself, man, we get the great opportunity to be part of that. To be part of God's search and rescue mission. Because he calls us to be his hands and feet. He calls us to open our mouths, Romans 10, to share the good news. How, how blessed are the feet of those who bring the good news. We get to be part of that. We get to be part of God's rescue mission. What a blessing that that is. We shouldn't take it lightly. So at Village, we're, we want to discover new disciples. We want to develop disciples. And that's what we're doing here now, right? Sitting under the teaching of God's Word, being challenged in small groups and, and the fellowship of other believers to, to grow in our walk with the Lord, to, to develop to maturity in Christ. And we want to deploy disciples. And that's what we're going to do now as, as a church, is be deployed into our community. We might, you might be deployed into a different ministry of the church here or there. Maybe it's working with kids. Maybe it's leading a small group, whatever it may be. But we also are deployed as ambassadors for Christ. And so as we leave this place today, each of us as a disciple of Jesus Christ, leaving as a deployed disciple into the mission field to seek and to save those who are lost, to open our mouths, to share the good news. And I, I like to present it as call it an encouragement, call it a challenge, but to look for an opportunity this week to share that good news with somebody. Just one person. Maybe it's a family member that, man, God's been putting them on your heart, you've been praying for them, or someone who lives next to you. I had a conversation in the last couple of weeks with my neighbor. I finally met my neighbor um, after being out here for a little while, and we got talking, and he asked why we had moved to the community. And I told him we moved out here to come be part of the church, and we got talking about religion and stuff. And he said, yeah, you know, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not much of a religious person. My wife's Catholic, but I just talked about him serving in Vietnam, and he, he's seen too much to, to believe in God. The wickedness. And, you know, it gave me an opportunity to talk about the fact that sin is wicked. But Christ has come to redeem, to make new, to restore and I believe, man, that was the first of many conversations with him about Christ. But look for those opportunities as you go through about your day, go through about your week, to talk about Jesus. Talk about the way that he has changed your life. Nobody can refute your testimony. 
Nobody can take that away from you. I think we talked about that in our small group this week. Nobody can take your testimony away from you. They might choose to ignore it, but they can't deny it. Look at the way that God has sought you out as that lost sheep and brought you back to the fold. What a powerful tool that God has given us to reach other people for the message of Jesus, with the message of Jesus Christ. I look forward to unpacking more of these parables over the coming weeks and really getting the heartbeat of what Jesus is trying to unveil, to reveal in the Pharisees. But what a way to start. To say, man, it's the sinners who need to be saved. The lost. So go this week and be a part of Jesus' search and rescue mission to seek and save those who are lost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this great and powerful parable. And thank you that it goes on from here. We look forward to and are maybe even terrified of the opportunities before us to open our mouths and share the gospel. Lord, as the Apostle Paul asked for prayer to be bold in sharing the gospel, I pray that we as a church, each of us, would be bold. I pray, that God, that you would give us confidence to open our mouths, even though we may not know all the words to say, we might be intimidated of being asked the tough questions that we don't know the answer to. And Lord, I pray that in those moments, when we know and we, we sense your Spirit leading us to, to say something, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't pass up that opportunity, but we'd take it. Because, Lord, somebody took that opportunity to share the good news with us. And Lord, we pray that you would be at work in the lives of those who are lost in this community. We pray for lost people to be found, for salvation for the, for the sinner. I pray that you would use us as your ambassadors, your messengers, as your witnesses where we live, where we do life. That this church would be a beacon of truth a beacon of light in a dark world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that you came to seek and to save the lost. And I pray that we wouldn't adopt the mindset ever of the Pharisees and the scribes, but that we would have the heart of our Savior to go to be with the lost, to be with the sinner and the tax collector, to spend time with the druggies, the drunks, the cheats, the liars of our communities and take the good news to them that they would hear it and believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.